Poised for Exit is a show for business owners who want to achieve a successful future exit based on their own terms. Your business exit will likely be the biggest financial transaction of your life. And for most, you'll have one shot at doing it right. The topics and guests we feature and the stories they share will provide valuable ideas and strategies to improve operations and grow enterprise value so you can achieve the best possible exit outcome. Now here's your host, Julie Keys. Welcome everyone to Poised for Exit, the podcast show for business owners. In this episode, we're going to interview Kit Welshlin, who is an award-winning national speaker and trainer for business owners and individuals, and also a longtime family business owner himself. Today's topic is going to be on managing stress and difficult situations and conversations, which Kit is actually an expert at. But before we do that, we are going to hear from our show sponsors, JAK CPAs and Sunbelt Business Advisors. Many business owners planning a business transition feel overwhelmed and don't know where to begin. The CPAs at JAK, John A. Knudsen and Company, can guide you to make sense of the numbers and tax pieces of your transition. Our firm was established over 90 years ago, and we have assisted many companies with ownership transitions. Leaving your business successfully takes time, so contact us today to discuss your situation. Visit our website at jakcpa.com. You wouldn't go deep sea fishing without a guide or skydive without an instructor. So don't sell your business without a broker. Now is a great time to sell a business. Many are selling at a premium. Contact a business broker at sunbeltminnesota.com or call Sunbelt Business Advisors at 612-455-0880 and get a free confidential business valuation so you'll know what your business might be worth because selling your business is the biggest financial decision you may ever make. There is a record number of buyers looking for businesses right now. It is a seller's market. You could list, sell, and get more for your business now and start the next successful chapter of your life. Call 612-455-0880 today or visit sunbeltminnesota.com. Minnesota's largest seller of companies. 612-455-0880, sunbeltminnesota.com. Ladies and gentlemen, we are here today with Kit Welshlin, who is a nationally known professional speaker and trainer for business owners and individuals. And we're excited to have him on the show today because we are going to be talking about difficult conversations and managing stress in the workplace. Kit, welcome to Poised for Exit. Thank you, Julie. It's nice to be invited to the podcast. Mm, Absolutely. And uh, we don't have a lot of time today, so we're just going to dive right in. And, um, you know, my first question for you before we get into my interview questions is... How did you get into the business that you're in? Because you're well known in speaking circles, but also in professional circles. People know who you are. They know what you talk about. They know what your expertise is. Um, You've done a really good job with that. How did you get to where you are and why did you choose speaking? Well, it goes way back in time. Uh, (laughs) I started public speaking when I was nine in 4-H. And the reason was because (laughs) I grew up on a family farm. Okay. And it was a position-centered family, not a person-centered family where everyone would have an equal say or an equal vote. But there was a true hierarchy in the family where my dad had the most authority than my mom. And then it went from oldest to youngest, and I was the youngest. So what would happen around the dining room table is my dad would say something, then my mom would say something, then Cabot, Kelly, Corey, and then they changed the subject. And I always had a terrible time getting into the conversation. (laughs) 
But in 4-H, 4-H, I could get up in front of a club once a month and give a five or ten minute speech without interruption and really haven't stopped since. <laughs> then I went to school at Mankato State. I studied business, speech, and political science. And Dr. Mm-hmm. Alan Zimmerman was one of my professors. And I left college after my junior year when a little manufacturing company came up for sale in my hometown. Mm-hmm. And when I went co- left college, it was the same time that Dr. Alan Zimmerman left being a full-time professor to go into the speaking business. So when I was in manufacturing, I would take staff to Dale Carnegie, skill path, career tracks, seminars, and workshops. And I mm-hmm. always found that Someone from the outside could say something very similar, if not the very same thing I had been saying on the inside. And for some reason, my employees were much more open to the ideas. So I wow. found that maybe I'd have more impact as an outsider rather than an insider. So the, the company did grow to three companies in three states. And I left those companies to go into the speaking business. So I went back to college, picked up a master's degree, and then started speaking for a living back in 1991. Wow. But I have a little quote um, in my office on my printer that says, Work so hard that you'll never have to introduce yourself. Mm. So that's what I've been working on for 30 years, to work real hard and make sure that I protected my brand. And you know, it's been a wonderful career. Wow. That is super good advice. Work so hard that you don't have to introduce yourself. Well, you don't. <laughs> so so you, you you have arrived. So um, let's <laughs> that's awesome. Really awesome. So let's switch gears. And let's talk about some of that expertise that I had highlighted in the opener with regard to having difficult conversations and how to deal with those. Let's face it, all of us are dealing with difficult conversations in one form or another since we have, you know, had to deal with so much change from the pandemic. And it's been, you know, we're going on almost two years now of making all these changes. And it's really manifested itself in not so positive ways across the board in families and marriages in employer employee relationships and so on and so on. So let's just um, let's talk about how to manage that, how to how to deal with those difficult conversations. Start with that. Yeah, you know, and you are right on the money when it comes to the impact that change has, how it turns up the level of stress, and then people are already feeling like they may not be as competent, and they start to lose their confidence when there's significant changes in their organizations or tremendous changes in, in technology. Mm-hmm. And when they're under stress, of course, they might become a little bit more defensive and become a little bit more difficult to work with. Mm-hmm. So when it comes to change, I was just giving a presentation this morning in Traverse City, Michigan, and mm-hmm. I talked about change can happen overnight. It's physical, it's external, it's somewhat mechanical, but transition is more personal. It's more internal. It's, it kind of takes our breath away. It's some frustration. It's some disappointment, anxiety, a lot of hand-wringing. Mm. And if we can become quick change artists, that helps quite a bit to minimize the stress. But I always you know, tell my audiences that if we can manage the stress, then we'll be better able to make good decisions. And we won't you know, respond you know, emotionally. We won't take it personally because in business, frankly, we don't get paid to take it personally. Yes. And if you want to be a professional, we need to figure out a, a number of different ways to manage the stress. So we're prepared well in advance if things aren't going our way or if there's some tension or conflict that we can still be our best selves at the table to make sure that after a conversation with us, things are better rather than worse. People feel more informed and they feel more involved. And that's kind of the whole goal is to keep the conversations going and to make sure that we are well aware, you know, deliver a lot of presentations on emotional intelligence, self-awareness and self-regulation, knowing yourself very well, but also knowing the impact your comments or words can have on other people. Mm -hmm. 
And so I'm sure that you have some tips and some advice on some of those physical remedies that we can use to manage stress as well as psychological. Let's talk about that. Yeah, you know, when it comes to stress, it attacks us in two fronts. It's a physical state. We become tired. It's a psychological state because we tend to worry. Mm-hmm. And the mind has a hard time telling the difference between what is real or what is well imagined. Yes. So when we worry about whether or not we set enough money aside to retire comfortably, even if we're not retiring right now, it kicks us into a stress response. Mm-hmm. And so the physical aspect of it is kind of burning up the adrenaline, burning up the blood sugars, or just making sure we're really ready for the day. So one of the suggestions I always make is to get organized. And I don't know if that's going to take two hours or two days or two weeks. But nothing more stress-relieving than to know where, exactly where everything is instead of spending six weeks a year just looking for things. Oh, and we should have gosh. an exercise. Yeah, you know, we should have an exercise program that you know really works. And I always talk about the five elements of that. It's got to be something that causes us to move. You know, mm-hmm. that's real important in an exercise program. Otherwise, it just doesn't have the effect. It has <laughs> to be something that causes us to breathe deeply. So we get the aerobic benefit, something that causes us to, you know, bend. So we put elasticity back into the muscles and ligaments. It has to be something you enjoy, and it has to be at your pace. So I don't tell people to get up every morning and run three miles. I have a brother that does. I'll run if I'm real scared, but Mm -hmm. I don't run for exercise. So I take the family's full-size five-passenger collie for a walk around the lake. It takes about 45 minutes. Mm -hmm. causes me to move, breathe, bend. It's something I enjoy, and it's at my pace. Nice. And then also, you know, we should do some deep breathing several times uh, throughout the day. We should do some gentle stretching. We should go on walking breaks. And Mm -hmm. I always suggest, you know, when we walk with a coworker, it just naturally feels like we're working together, like we're collaborating. We're on the same team, Mm -hmm. headed the same direction. But I also suggest to people that, We should go for walks with our family. Don't stink up the dining room table with conflict. Go for a walk and, Mm -hmm. you know, wave at your neighbors, dodge some cars, pet their dogs. But, Mm -hmm. you know, walking burns up the adrenaline, blood sugars. People have several minutes to respond rather Mm -hmm. than react. And one of the, you know, top stress management techniques is to have a hobby, something Mm -hmm. significantly different than what we do on the job. So if things aren't going well at work, we can still fall back on a different self-concept and still like ourselves personally, even if things are a little bit bumpy professionally. Sure. So those are some of those stress management techniques I suggest. And also laugh as much as you can. When, when I was going through this pandemic the last 16 months, I put a big old stack of joke books out of my library on my nightstand. And I you. would read out of those joke books for 10 minutes. And I'll tell you what, none of the jokes were funny for about eight minutes. But <laughs> by the time I got to the last couple of minutes, I could find some humor in it. Yeah. And I slept better. Yeah. So if any way we can work some humor into that, yeah. and whether it's a, some old joke books that we just read until it you know, changes our frame of reference, all those little techniques really help us physically. Yeah, I went I went online literally like two weeks ago and ordered as many um, different versions of the Far Side as I could find because I just find the Far Side <laughs> hilarious. <laughs> so yeah, I just laugh thinking about the Far Side. I know, right? It's great therapy and and walking. You know, to your point about walking, boy, I'll tell you, shoulder to shoulder. With um, a spouse, a child, a coworker, um, that is a really great way to communicate, get exercise, and and share how you're feeling. Right? It's like because of the movement and going moving forward, it's a positive thing, right? Um, I've just yeah, found that know, to be mind, very effective. Yeah. Mm-hmm. 
Yeah, you know, the mind and body are so connected. You know, sometimes we just mm-hmm. get in the right posture. I, I share sometimes an active listening posture, which is called stable nonverbal communication. Mm-hmm. S stands for squarely face the other person. Well, that tells people you're giving them your undivided attention. Mm-hmm. Tip your head when you're following along. Nod your head when you do agree. Attentive facial expressions. So people say things you agree with, you can smile. And they say something you disagree with, you can kind of squint. And Barrier-free environments. Remove the barriers between you and the other person. Maybe this is something we should talk about over lunch. Maybe this is something we should never talk about over lunch. And, mm-hmm. and then lean forward slightly, show your enthusiasm as a listener. Then the E of stable nonverbal communication is eye contact. And yes. eye contact, you know, in some cultures is looking in people's souls. So it's very powerful. People know you mm-hmm. hear with your ears. They judge whether or not you're listening with your eyes. Are you making eye contact or not? Yes, extremely important. I agree 100%. When uh, we talk about communication and ways to deal with difficult conversations, let's speak to that for a minute. Yeah, you know, I always like to have what I call um, neutral phrases that when people are getting all wound up, you know, some people don't like conflict. And actually, you know, conflict's a good sign because that means people are willing to tell each other what they really think and how they really feel. Sure. So I think conflict is, you know, makes us more aware of problems in the relationship that need to be resolved that we may not have been aware of. It helps, you know, encourage change. It gives us some motivation to have those difficult conversations. It's always interesting, you know. I, sometimes you have to stop and think, well, I can't believe a person can think that way. But also, you know, it seems like better decisions are made when there's some you know, difficult discussions or some conflict. Sure. But I think conflict reduces some of those day-to-day irritations of working with each other. But I use neutral phrases like, that's an idea, uh, that's interesting, you've got a point, hmm. I'll need some time to think about that. Phrases like, I see, I understand, go on. Those are all neutral phrases that keep the conversation going, and they know that you're listening and you're attentive and you're paying attention. And, and the more people talk, the better they feel. Mm-hmm. And if you let other people talk first, when you respond, you have more credibility because people believe you're taking their perspective in mind, even if you're not. So we can't go wrong with listening and using neutral phrases to keep the conversation going. Listening and I also is... like to always, and I always like to ask what or how questions because I have mm. found there's really no wrong answers to what or how questions. If you ask a who question, there's only one right answer. A when exactly. question, one right answer. Where question, you lob in a why question, which implies judgment or evaluation. Now you're going to be wrestling on the floor. But with what questions, you get definitions, you get explanations. With how questions, you get descriptions and examples. Mm -hmm. So when I go into a conflict situation, I go three rounds. I ask a what question, then a how question, a what question, and a how question, a what question, and a how question. And sometimes the last two questions don't even make any sense. But they're even more powerful because then people kind of stop and say, well, I must not be explaining this very well. And their whole focus changes to trying to help me understand rather than on them being right. And it really changes the tone of the conversation, that mm-hmm. I'm that willing to listen that long to understand their perspective. Because if they disagree with me, I should really be quite interested in what I'm missing or what they know that I don't know that would help me better understand their position. Yeah, I think you're right with um, as far as listening and understanding, you know, to gain to gain understanding, right? Listening to gain the understanding, because I think there's so much misunderstanding going on in the world right now on so many different levels. It reminds me of uh, one of my clients recently who had a major conflict internally with one of their leaders. And it was really difficult for both parties to, to deal with the situation because they were both so close to it. 
And so, you know, one question that I would have for you, you know, when you're dealing, and this was a difficult person that my client was dealing with, and not sure that they have made the decision to sever that relationship yet or not. Um, they may, but but when you're dealing in a difficult situation like that with someone who is difficult, what what are your some of your best tips on that? Well, there's usually four reasons or intentions that aren't being met that cause people to become difficult. So when people want to get something done they fear it's not going to get done, then they exaggerate their behavior, become more controlling, more demanding, more forceful. And then when people want to get it right and they fear it's going to be done wrong, they become more perfectionistic, pointing out potential flaws, potential errors, and saying no to anything because they don't want anything to go wrong. They see everything as a gamble. And then when somebody wants to get along with you, uh, they exaggerate their behavior to become more approval-seeking, and it's kind of vain uh, conversations or conflict where you're not quite really sure what they're saying, what they really mean, because they don't want to damage the relationship. Mm-hmm. Because they have a great big fear that if there is conflict, the relationships will be damaged and never be able to re- be repaired. Mm-hmm. And then the last reason people become difficult is they wanted to get some appreciation. Maybe they invested 20 years of their life in the company and and then all of a sudden we're selling it to somebody else or it's a family member that chose to join the family business and the other family members ran off to do other things. And then when it comes to buying the family business, mm-hmm. for some reason, I find this with family farms, you know, the person has to buy the whole farm and other people get a portion of it. They yeah. have nothing to do with it for the last 20 years. And yeah. that's a lot of frustration. You know, don't you appreciate the investment I've made in this enterprise? So, mm-hmm. so people become more attention getting, they throw a fit or they go silent or they leave the job site and don't return for a couple of days. At least yes. they're going to get some attention because mm-hmm. they don't feel the appreciation. So what I do is I really listen for what it is that's causing them to be so angry or frustrated or disappointed or hostile. And, you know, about 20% of the population can be considered difficult, which means, you know, oh, anywhere really? you go, there's probably going to be one. Yeah, it comes out of a book called Nasty People. But <laughs> if I focus on those four intentions, you know, it really helps me to try to figure out how I can help them to understand what the intention is that they need fulfilled for them to move forward. So it's almost kind of like unlocking a padlock in a way, mm. listening to the communication style, the content and how it's delivered. And all of a sudden you'll recognize, Oh, there it is. That's what they're starving for. And that's why there's so much resistance. Mm. But that's the way I like to, to approach that. The other thing that, that I keep in mind is I need to understand my emotions so I can respond appropriately. Yes. And so I just really need to be careful and keep biting my tongue and all that old idea of collecting your thoughts. If mm. we are focused on that. And sometimes I will literally write on the top right-hand corner of a piece of paper when I'm taking notes, I am a reasonable person. Because they're going to do everything they can to try to convince me I'm being unreasonable and irrational. But mm-hmm. if I could keep reminding myself that when I text friends, they text me back. When I call people, they answer the phone. I have hundreds of positive relationships. I'm a reasonable person. And mm-hmm. so you, know, you have those conflicts and, and people are difficult. You know, they're going to try to pin it on you and not take the responsibility. But our mm-hmm. responsibility is to try to uncover what's, what's really bothering them. Yes. So we don't want to be throwing our own emotional intelligence out the window just because whoever it is that we're having a conflict with is doing that, right? right. <laughs> Which can happen. That's right. I mean, especially in family <laughs> relationships and in family uh, business, I, uh, emotional intelligence doesn't always um, take a front seat in situations like that, right? That's right. And I often suggest to people to really alter cast yourself, put yourself in the role as an outside consultant. If you're an outside consultant looking at this situation, 
What would you recommend? What would you suggest? What would you do differently? Mm-hmm. You got to really take the personal connection out of it. I mean, we're talking business. You know, one of the things when I, I did my master's thesis on family businesses and how to incorporate negotiation skills in wow. the business conversations to protect the personal relationships. But I found sometimes, you know, the father or the mother would have a tremendous impact on the decisions made in the family business or the older brother or younger sister. And one time, uh, shortly after I wrote my thesis, I was speaking at an event and there were two of us speaking. One gentleman owned a heating, ventilation and air conditioning company. Mm -hmm. And I was speaking on the research I had from my thesis on family businesses. And they asked him if he had any family members in the business, any sons or daughters. He says, yes, all three of my sons and two of my daughters. And somebody asked, well, what are their positions in the company? He said, well, my oldest son is the CEO. My second son is the CFO. And the other son is the COO. And then he stopped. And then somebody asked, what about your daughters? Oh, they're secretaries. And the room was completely silent. Hmm. And it just kind of stunned us that the pecking order was based upon age and gender. Mm-hmm. Huh. You know, it wasn't that it was the most qualified person necessarily yes. in that position. Mm-hmm. It was based upon a family communication pattern that mm-hmm. may or may not have been appropriate mm-hmm. for the family business. Very interesting. Hey, have you ever done any speaking engagements for uh, St. Thomas Family Business Center? No. In the Twin Cities? Not. Oh, well... All right, I'm going to introduce you to John Kymig. I think that that would be a good introduction for you because I think he would appreciate that expertise. Oh, well, thank you. Mm-hmm. I would love Absolutely. To. Yeah, so we are out of time. If we could just ask one more question, if that's okay. We got a few few seconds left. You were in a family business yourself. You kind of alluded to that a couple times. And I, I just like to know, how did you use the skills that you learned? One of the things that was beneficial is that when I was in college, for my undergraduate degree, I studied business, speech, and political science. Mm-hmm. So I, I had some tools to start with. And I was the CEO, and I was the youngest employee of the entire organization. And when we started the second company out of state, I invited an older brother into the business with me, oh. who was the chief operating officer. And then when we had three companies in three states, we invited our father in to be our third truck driver part-time. So I kind of turned the family structure completely upside down. Mm. But the good news was is that I had some communication constructs, uh, you know, assertive message, formulas to follow, leveling comments that I could make. I also really did take on the role of being the chief revenue officer where I knew that these were conversations that were very critical. And if you have terrible relationships with your family members, it spreads through the organization like a virus. It really does. And the rumors always, you know, more exciting than the truth. So we were very (laughs) careful to make sure any of those highly, uh, uh, what would I call it, uh, lively discussions were handled, Mm. you know, somewhere out of sight Mm. and where people wouldn't hear us so that we always seem to be on the same team, focus on the same task, taking very good care of our customers. Very smart. But I also think when I went back to, you know, do my master's thesis on family businesses, some of that was therapeutic to really take a look at what did I miss? What could I have done better? How I, how I could have approached it differently. And I, I find, I found that that year of working on that thesis really helped me to process those previous seven years of being in the family business. Mm-hmm. And it re- really did help me recognize some blind spots that I went to work at repairing in myself. 
I love those tips. I hope our listeners are taking good notes on that. And um, again, we there's so much more that we could talk about, but we got to end for this for for today. And so for our listeners, you can find this and all of our other episodes on the Poised for Exit website at poisedforexit.com, where you can also get a copy of my book, Poised for Exit. Please do share this program with your business owner, friends, and colleagues. And Kit, thank you so much for being on the show. Uh, What would be the best way for our listeners to reach you? Well, you can just Google my name, whether you spell it or not correctly, (laughs) you'll still reach me. I have a couple of different domains that funnel into welchlin.com. W-E-L-C-H-L-I-N.com. You can go to my YouTube channel. It's under my name, Kit Welchlin. There's mm-hmm. more than 200 videos there that you can get some free information. There's, I, I say they're a fun little videos that you accidentally learn quite a bit. Yes, you do, and they're very good. They're very well done, I will say that. And we will have links to how to reach you as well in the show notes for everyone's benefit. Thank you, everyone, for listening, and please do join us again next time.